Well, <coughs> we have an old car, but it's a, a well-built car. Few years, few weeks ago, I noticed a flashing red light indicating a problem with the handbrake. I'm not an expert in cars nor fixing it of it, so I asked some of my friends. And the more friends I asked, the more opinions they gave me about what is the problem. Even one uh, um, car mechanic told me that, oh, you have to change the whole of the handbrake. I once came back home and uh, I started to think, what shall I do? Then I thought of uh, looking at the manual uh, of the car. I discovered that at the end of the manual, there is a troubleshooting uh, uh, section. And to my pleasantly surprise to find that there is also something about flashing of the handbrake. The answer was pretty simple. Check the brake fluid. I checked, it was low, so I filled it up, problem solved. It didn't even cost me more than five euros. We need to study our manuals, and especially in the time of difficulties. In relating to that, we find the Apostle Paul had the same desire to teach his hearers in the Church of Colossae as he writes to them about the manual of successful and victorious Christian living. Today, I would like to share with you briefly few thoughts from the third chapter and the verses 16 and 17 that we read. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three simple thoughts I would like to share with you. And uh, these are our manuals. The word in verse 16a, the worship, 16b, and then the work in verse 17. The word, the work, the worship, the work. And before we dive into these thoughts, I would like to put uh, these two verses in the context of the larger uh, text, as well as the background uh, in which uh, Paul uh, wrote the epistle. Colossae was a small commercial city in the province of the Roman Asian, which basically modern day Turkey. It was about a hundred miles from the big city of Ephesus. The apostle Paul was not the founder of the church. He was not the church planter, uh, as we are uh, uh, be aware of that in chapter two. But the one who planted the seed was Epaphras, one of Paul's disciples. Paul wrote the epistle when he was in, uh, in prison in Rome, about 62 AD. And although most of the population of the city of Colossae were from a Greek background, but there was also a big community of Jewish people. The church in Colossae was a mixed races, 
Jews and Gentiles. It's like the modern church of today or in Cardiff, uh, uh, a group of different races, different nationalities coming together. The Apostle Paul wrote to warn the Colossians from, uh, of uh, uh, wrong teaching and present them the correct teaching. He was uh, like a, a true gardener, uh, clears the plants from the weeds and offer food and, uh, and water so that it grows strong. In the first two chapters, Paul presented the Christian teaching and the doctrine, how the Colossians should believe. And then it followed with practical element to the Christian life, how to live successfully, how to live victoriously. Notice in verse 1, he said, you were raised with Christ. Our position is with Christ in heaven because we are in Christ. Then he asked them to seek what is in above, what things that is of excellent reputation, not things on earth. Because of our new identity in Christ, we have a heaven, heavenly citizenship. Later on, Paul gives us two orders, one or commands, one to put to death and two in verse five, and to put off. These are the old nature, the old citizenship of the world, the, the, the matters and the qualities that will destroy the church as well as the family. And the answer is in verse 12, he said, put on. But how? What are the practical elements to achieve this goal? Well, let us start by considering what he's saying in verse 16, the word. He said, let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul here is illustrating the word of Christ like the dweller or someone who is inhabitant of a house or of a home. I remember when uh, uh, we moved our home, uh, I asked some friends, uh, because I was interesting, when do you feel that you are home? Uh, or when you move places, how long does it take when you started to feel you are home? One lady said, when I hang all the pictures on the wall. Other uh, friends said to me, when all the boxes are cleared from the garage and from the, uh, uh, from the um, living room. For me, to be at home is when I know my way, even in the darkness. The word here, the word, let the word of Christ, Paul wanted it to penetrate every place inside our body uh, and soul. Theologians agree together that the human soul contains five faculties. And these are the mind, the will, the emotions, the memory, and the conscience. And I would like briefly just looking at these and the effect that uh, uh, these five faculties would affect on us and how could we let the word of Christ dwell in each of them. The mind first is the kitchen of the thoughts. The mind is the engine which 
moves us, their decisions would be taken. Decisions would be studied and decided. Paul, in chapter 1, verse 13, he talked about God's work in the believers, and he said this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, that's to, he transformed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This would happen when the Holy Spirit comes to change our way of thinking, our way of uh, living our lives. When we start to see that we have a new identity, we have a new, uh, a new position in Christ. Christ has redeemed us. And as a result of that, he has brought us back. We are not belonging to ourselves. We belong to Christ. There is an internal change which leads to external transformation. A few years, uh, I went uh, with a team to Sudan uh, to do some training. We were very organized. We took our materials with us and the program. And in the evening, before we started the training, uh, we met with the participant and we said that we, that's it. We are going to start tomorrow morning, nine o'clock till five for five days. And after we talked about everything we are going to do in the following day, an elderly pastor came to us and he said, um, it's not going to work. But uh, we have organized everything. We have planned everything. And we said, it will work. We started at 9 o'clock, 9.30. The, uh, after we finished hymns, we turned on our computers and our projectors. It took five minutes and everything shut down because it was over 50 degrees of heat. He said to us, I told you so. When you are in Sudan, you need to do the Sudanese way. We get up at 5.30, we study till 9.30, and then we take a break till 6 o'clock in the evening and we start again till 10. We had to change. Our mindset had to change. We need to adopt a new, a new situation. And that is the renewing of our mind. And then we come to the second word, which is the well. We talked about the mind and now the well. The word of Christ invigorate the desires of the believer. He wanted to please God. He wanted to talk about the Lord and what he has done in his life. In chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul says that, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thank, thanksgiving. The word of God help and influence our will. It, made us, it makes us uh, wanted to spend more time with God and his people. John and I visited Algeria some time ago, and on Friday we went to church because this is when they meet for the Lord's Day. And uh, there was a lady who came and she was looking hot and bothered. It was 38 degree of heat and she was uh, physically disabled. And I asked her and I said to her, wow, you came. And she said, well, I walked for an hour in that heat with her crutches. And I said, 
Wow, that is a dedication. She said, I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to learn my faith. I wanted to have the desire to be able to worship God together. I wonder if we have the same desire to meet together, perhaps in a prayer meeting, the desire of studying God's word corporately, and the will to make the time for it. It is a sacred time I have us to make to be able to pray and to study God's word. The will. The third faculty that the word of Christ will penetrate is the memory. The word of God replaces the memory in, inside us. It's like erasing what is there and starting afresh. It removes the fear and replace it with trust and security. David in the Psalms said this, but I have calmed and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. The word of Christ will come to transform your memory. Satan certainly will try to come with condemnation. He'll come and try to remind us with our past sins, with who we were before, with our past, and tell us that there is no redemption enough. Remember what you have done. Remember this. Remember that. Remember the other. There is nothing worse than speaking with someone who is not only hysterical, but historical as well. Uh, we have produced uh, a program about heroes and heroines of the faith. And among the characters we studied was Kuri Tamboom, uh, a Dutch lady who was uh, uh, captured uh, by the Nazi Germans uh, and sent to the um, concentration camps because of her help and her family to the Jewish people during the Second World War. When she was released, she was uh, uh, reflecting about her, her, her life and the way the Lord led her. Uh, and uh, she was convicted to share her experience with others. She said that, uh, I believed that uh, God has forgiven my trespasses and my sins and my iniquities. I believe that God has taken all my sins away and throw them in a very deep, deep sea. Not just only that, she added that the Bible tells me so, but there is something else I have a conviction of, but not in the Bible, that God puts a sign to say fishing uh, is forbidden. Therefore, that if you are in Christ, the sins of the past will not be remembered. And then she was speaking like this in a conference one time, and after the end of the conference, uh, she saw a man coming towards her, and when she looked at his face, it brought bad, bad, bad memories, because he was one of the fierce guard in that camp where she and her sister Betsy were there. Uh, Betsy sadly died in the concentration camp, and a German uh, soldier came to her and he said, it is, uh, it is lovely to know that our sins are forgiven by God, but will you forgive me? Cori said that she was frozen for a minute. This man had brought misery on her family and on her. How could she forgive, 
Yet, this was the very message she was saying uh, uh, earlier on, that we have a message of reconciliation, of forgiveness. She prayed. She asked the Lord to help. She said in her biography that mechanically she lifted her hand because she said, Lord, I cannot do that on my own. I need your help. And suddenly she was embraced by a feeling of forgiveness and love that she was able to stretch a hand, shake to this German soldier and then to tell him, I forgive you, brother. The Lord will change your will. The Lord will help your memory. The, word, the Lord will affect your uh, uh, memory as well as the mind. And uh, the, the question is, do we remember his promises to us? Do we have time to memorize these promises so that we can bring it uh, to life when the time of need is needed? The fourth uh, faculty is the emotions. The word of God heals the emotions and compensates for the years that the Lucas have eaten. The barrenness, it changed the bitterness uh, into joy and sadness into singing. In a conference, in an Arabic conference I was attending, there was testimonies flying from the Middle East and from North Africa. And there was a Palestinian uh, a young man who came to the podium to give his testimony. Uh, and he went on to say that um, uh, when he gave his life to Christ, he was rejected from his own family and community. And he said that I tried to uh, join to a church, but no one trusted me. And the Israeli hated us. And uh, I felt alone. And he said that I was broken. And as he was speaking like this, a man walked towards him and took the mic and he said, well, I am a pastor in Jerusalem and I wanted to apologize on the behalf of the Christian community for not trusting you and embraced him. And suddenly another man came uh, to speak with this uh, two men on the podium and said, I'm a Jewish pastor. And I wanted on the behalf of the Israeli also to say that we are sorry for mistrusting you. We are well one in Christ. And suddenly the three men embraced one another. It was a very, very emotional moment. We felt release of forgiveness. We felt a release of God's presence is waving away and healing the broken and the hurt of emotions. And lastly, we have the conscience uh, that uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the um, fifth faculty of the soul. Before faith in Christ, our conscience was dead. We could not feel that we are breaking God's commandment. We could not recognize that there will be a punishment, eternal punishment for us. But God offered us the, uh, the, the purification that is needed when Christ Jesus came and he took upon himself everything that against him and radiate to us his righteousness. Jesus did the swap. He took our sins upon himself. He took our imperfection. He took our guilty conscience and gave to us 
something beautiful. He gave to us his righteousness. The uh, writer to the Hebrews says these words, let us draw near with, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a picture of the sacrificial, uh, the sacrifices that were offered in the temple and Christ is our ultimate sacrifice. He comes and he washes us and he purifies us by his uh, own sacrifice on the cross so that we can say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So we have seen that the word of Christ comes to dwell in us, to transform our five faculties, the uh, mind, the will, the memory, the emotions, as well as uh, the conscience. But this is not the only thing that the word of Christ does. It influences our worship, and this is our second point. Praise and worship are important in the church. I think it's the only time when we worship corporately is in the church, unless we are in a choir. Paul says here that in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Now he's, uh, he's uh, uh, telling us that praise is not addressed to me, nor to my own uh, preferences, but it Praise is addressed to God to glorify him. Paul is saying here that worship is inspired by the word of Christ. This is the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. But we also have Christ who is the eternal word. Therefore, the whole Bible is points to him. We can say that, that worship is inspired by the teaching of the whole of Scripture. Many people, in trying to explain the difference between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that Paul is talking about here, uh, came to the conclusion, perhaps, that, uh, that the psalms, they are the Old Testament uh, psalms, which uh, give to us uh, material of praise to the character of God, to his eternal attributes. Uh, the hymns uh, focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Augustine, in describing the hymnology, he said that there are three elements in what we call a hymn. First, it must be sung. Second, the foundation is praise. Third, is addressed to Jesus, to God. And then we have the spiritual songs, which tells us about the Christian life. It's a testimony about God's grace, how to walk uprightly, and how to uh, uh, trust God in the time of difficulties. We have in uh, Scripture, in Acts 16, verse 25, we have Paul and Silas in prison, in Philippi, praising God. But we have also modern hymns. Horatio Spafford uh, wrote a very uh, moving and uh, famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The story goes behind that hymn that uh, his wife and uh, four daughters were traveling from the States to uh, the UK and uh, they had a terrific uh, accident when their ship collided with another one. And uh, uh, 
the, after the wife was rescued, uh, um, she was landed actually in Cardiff. She wrote a cable to her husband in 1873 to say to him, save the loan, what shall I do next? And in his way to meet his wife, uh, Horatio Spafford in 1873 wrote this, for me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. It is well with my soul. The essence of worship is the grace of God in our lives. It springs from a heart that is conscientious with God's grace. Uh, my, our minds sing with understanding. It's not just only repeating words or admiring uh, some melodies. Sinclair Ferguson said, praise and worship is, uh, are the, the, the oil that accompany the engine of God's teaching, and it's advancing it to others to help them in their faith. One of the benefits of praise, including encouraging others, is admonishing them, is uh, uh, telling them or correcting them. But Paul here is putting it in an in a interesting way. He squeezes this admonishing one another in all wisdom between the word of Christ and, and the praise. It's like a very precious gift wrapped uh, carefully with a very uh, expensive wrapping paper. It is very difficult when we see people who say they are Christian, but Christ is not evident in their living uh, and the way they deal with one another on their daily lives. If uh, they have prejudice against other people, if they do not speak uh, with grace in their hearts and in their mouth, uh, may they ask before that, you know, in any way we are speaking, is my comment going to build others or it's going to uh, uh, destroy them? We were uh, uh, recording uh, um, a program and the time was very sensitive and we had lots of working hours and one of the ladies made a mistake. So another lady came to her and rebuked her in public. And that caused uh, uh, um, a grief in the midst of us and bad feelings. So my wife went to speak with that lady and said to her, well, yes, um, she made a mistake, but the way you spoke with her, was very harsh. Would it be possible just to go and soften the blow and, and apologize to her? And she refused. She said, God accept me the way I am. Well, it is true that God accepts us the way we are, but he's expecting us to change. As the word of Christ dwell in us, it softens us, it makes us say sorry. Actually, one of the marks of people who became Christian is the awareness of their faults to say that I am sorry. To summarize worship, John MacArthur put it in this way. He said, worship is our innermost being 
responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. It's a very impacting. I will repeat it again. Worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. So we have seen that uh, the word of Christ, when it comes to dwell in us, it helps us uh, to change in our lives, but also it helps us to worship. And the third thing that the word of Christ does to us, it helps us in our work, and that is verse 17. Paul ends this passage with an exclusive, uh, uh, with an inclusive, sorry, commandment. He said that whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Some people have a problem here uh, with this imperative. They come and say, well, we are imperfect, so how could God accept our imperfect works? They are not good enough. And the answer is because of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is true. Your deeds, your actions, your works are not good enough in its own, but we are in Christ. Our Lord Jesus is our representative. When he came to earth, he lived a perfect life. He obeyed all the commandments on our behalf. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus, his holy life become ours. Not just only that, but our position is we become children of God. This is what John teaches in chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Let me illustrate it. Uh, a few weeks ago, when we were in France, I went to our dentist. And uh, when, we, when I went in, I saw uh, uh, above his desk, there was uh, a picture, a drawing of uh, uh, his uh, little daughter, about four years old. It wasn't particularly good. It was uh, what you expect of a four years old. And uh, I think her mother held her hands to write the word, I love you, daddy, uh, with a big red heart there. But the father was so proud that he wanted to display this picture, this drawing in his office. He is so proud of his daughter because she's writing to him and saying to him, I love you, daddy. You see, you and I are like this little girl. God accepts us because he loves us, because we are his children. This doctor has that image of his daughter's drawing as a badge of honor. And everything we do for Christ, everything we do in his name, Christ, God the Father, accepted as it is of Christ. There is another reason for why we would accept, why God accepts our works, because it is actually the effect of his work in our lives. In Philippians 2, Paul says this, For it is God who works in you both to will 
and to do for his good pleasure. Our words, our deeds, our works is a reflection of the new identity in Christ in us. In the church, we serve, not because we like to be uh, seen, but to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In our words, we build up others to complete the body of Christ. In work, we are dealing with one another as to a testimony of Christ's goodness in our hearts, to give a testimony about him so that people can see our good deeds and praise God in heaven. Uh, being a missionary, I love missionary stories. And here is a story of William Carey, a British missionary from 1761 to 1834. Uh, that is, uh, <coughs> he is considered to be the father of the missions, of modern missions. He was born in a poor family, uh, uh, the eldest in five siblings. And the age of 14, his father sent him to work as apprentice in a shoe shop uh, to mend and to, sell, to make shoes. Later on, uh, um, he went to um, India uh, to be the first missionary there in 1793. What I love about Kerry is his motto. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And as a result, he taught himself Greek, Hebrew, French, Latin, Italian. Not only that, he translated the Bible to Hindi, to Bengali, to Sankrist. And he did lots of social reform. He spoke against the custom of the uh, assisted suicide of the widows when their husband died, the death of girls, uh, and uh, started the first university in Sirampur. And at the end of his life, when he was on his deathbed, he said to his family, when I go, do not speak about Dr. Carey, but talk to everyone about the greatness of the God of Carey. So let us ask God to help us to soak ourselves in his word so that we can build foundations of our faith in Christ and upon his word. Let us learn how to claim God's promises to us so that we can worship him and to ask him for grace as we deal with others, especially those who are difficult in the midst of us and how to pray for them. And I wanted to end with this lovely verse. Uh, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. May the Lord help us. Amen.